I'm very pleased to welcome you all to this book launch. I'm here to introduce someone whom I think needs no introduction really, Dr. Cartesian, who, whose work must be familiar to all of you. He is a senior research fellow at the Middle East Institute and I think he must be, in the field of Iranian studies, the most prolific author of all. The sheer volume of research published by Dr. Cartesian is absolutely staggering. And not just the quantity and the quality, but also the diversity. Because I think, again, he's quite unique in his ability to work on economics, politics, history, but also on culture, on poetry. And, of course, his magisterial book on Iranian history, The Persians, is now a textbook in any university which teaches this subject. So it's my great honour to introduce Dr. Kartuzian, who's going to tell us about his new book on Khalil Maliki. Again, I think Dr. Kartuzian is responsible for rescuing Khalil Maliki from relative obscurity because he has been not given the importance and attention that his life and work deserves. So I think this is a great contribution to rectifying that omission and I think I find it very interesting to hear what Dr. Kartuzian has to say this evening. Thank you so much. There is a, a background for this, as it were, not only on the subject in person but the publisher. It came to me in 2004 and I made a contribution to a series they were running on the makers of the world of Islam something like that. And I agreed and I wrote the book on Chadi, which was published in 2006. And then in 2011, they wrote up again and that I write a contribution to another series, a short one on history and society of Iran, and that was published in 2013. And this time, it's a series on radicalism in the Middle East or something like that. Eskandar Salibibur Jadi, a colleague who is one of the editors of the series, suggested to me, he actually specifically suggested that I make my write on Khalil Malik. That was in 2016. Khalil <laughs> Malik was born in 1901, a few years before the Constitutional Revolution of 1906, and died in 1969, a few years after the Shah's White Revolution of 1963. He would have been 76 in 1977 when the protest movement, which led to the revolution of February 1979, began. Thus, in much of his long and eventful period, Maliki played a significant role in politics and society, as in an intellectual, a political thinker, activist and organizer, and a communist turned socialist, believing in freedom, democracy, and social justice and pursuing these goals through peaceful means. And since the split with the Tudor Party that became the Communist Party in 1948, he almost constantly faced the barrage of abuse, liable and elected from that party, and later from other revolutionaries as well. He was thus a unique figure, both in a generally intolerant age, now jailed by rulers and now fascinated by Masodios. It is only in recent times that his ideas and approaches are making inroads in the political attitude and practice of some, especially younger Iranians, those men and women. He was not generally known, even in Iran, from the late 1960s until the 21st century, the great age of revolutionary idealism and revolution. The Constitutional Revolution of 1906 was first and foremost fought for the establishment of government by law as opposed to arbitrary rule. 
or various secondary programs, notably modernization, were also floated through the movement. And it was supported by virtually all the urban social classes, the peasantry still being uh, impolitical. Merchants, small traders, artisans, intellectuals, intellectuals, bajar princes, and notables, tribal leaders, etc. And although in many ways it was very different from the revolution of February 1979, the resemblance to the consensus of all social classes to remove the Shah and thus overthrowing Abishu rule is uncanny. Once Mahmoud Ali Shah was deposed, conflict, chaos, and anarchy began to replace his rule quite like the aftermath of the fall of every Abishu government throughout centuries. The intervention in Iran of warring parties in World War I simply exasperated the situation. Since before it, chaotic strengths had already begun, both in the center and the provinces. Come the end of the war, Iran was on its knees, even in danger of being fragmented as it had done before in history. And most erstwhile revolutionaries were beginning to regret it. A few, like the poets, and were yearning for another revolution. But many, if not most, intellectuals, nationalists, and modernist elites hoped for a strong government which would stamp out the chaos and modernize the country virtually overnight. The young Khalid Maliki was one of their numbers, wishing for the establishment of a modern republic. Various factors led to the emergence of Reza Khan, but once he appeared on the scene, he proved to be the savior many educated Iranians had longed for. Even his establishment of a dictatorship went down well at first, to the extent that when he bid to become Shah in 1925, he also had the support of the ulama in Nazareth. He quickly brought security and stability to the country and began a process of modernization, in fact, student modernism, since it was a case of a straight government problems. However, it did not take long for the case to turn into traditional archie rule or SMDR in a modern form. A one-man regime, as the Shah himself described it, which increasingly began to alienate various social classes so that when, in 1941, he had to abdicate in the wake of the Allied occupation of Iran, he had very few friends indeed left in the country. An example of his reforms was sending state students to study in European universities from which at first Maliki benefited only to be returned to Iran before finishing his studies on the fourth charge of being a communist. An example of the Shah's arbitrary rule was the arrest and incarceration of a group of young men, later known as the 53, in 1937, who included Khalid Maliki on charges of belonging to a communist organization which they did not. Shortly after Reza Shah's abdication, the Tudor party was formed by some members of the 53 and other democratic and anti-fascist people, which resembled the resistance movements in occupied Europe led by popular France. Its membership ranged from Marxist social democrats and liberals. Maliki took a couple of years before joining the party, mainly because he did not trust some members of the 53 and when he did, he began to lead the young party dissidents who were critical of many of the attitudes and policies of his leadership. Once again, the country was almost down on its knees in many ways, except that occupying forces stopped it from falling apart or getting entangled in the long schist and absent struggles of the kind that was experienced after the revolution of February 1979. 
the Tudor party was, to say the least, the best organized at some time. Later, the most popular party in Iran, in spite of internal disagreement. It organized, though not exclusively, the trade union movement, and its press and publications spread new political values and encouraged modern cultural and literary activities. Come the 1943 Soviet victory in Stalingrad, it became the strongest center of social and intellectual activity. Maliki became one of the most famous and most popular writers, journalists, and teachers of the top party at the same time as he was the elder member of the internal party critics. The party support for the 1944 Soviet demand for the concession of North Iranian oil, which Maliki endorsed, put it in a difficult situation, but it made the biggest push inside and outside when demonstrated in support of the Soviet demand under the protection of the occupying Soviet troops. However, the internal party disagreements came to a head in 1946 when the party leadership ordered the Azerbaijan Democrats' forceful declaration of autonomy to smack of settlements and delivered their own local party organization to them as a result of Soviet pressure. Maliki led the opposition to that policy and this provided the turning point which ended up in the party split of January 1948. The winds of Cold War had already begun to blow since 1946, and the two-party would have been an indirect result of that, although the splinters still had faced in the Soviet Union, though not the Soviet embassy in Tehran. But it did not take Maliki long before he sold through Soviet communism. By this time, the Tude, having been banned in 1949, had become a fully-fledged Stalinist party to which the Soviet interest came first. Meanwhile, the conflict with Anglo-Iranian oil company had begun to flare up, which had as its background the great oil workers' strikes of the mid-1940s, the rejection of the Soviet demand for the North Iranian oil concession and the general dissatisfaction with AIOC's interference in the political affairs of Iran. That is how the National Front led by Mohammad Musadat and the newspapers Bakhtar, Andrews and Shahid, which supported it, came into being. Maliki began to write in Muzaffar Rahari Shahid, criticizing British policy in Iran as well as the two but his most remarkable contribution was his campaign against the extremely prevalent and popular conspiracy theory of politics. Maliki had become a socialist who firmly believed in parliamentary democracy. Meanwhile, the country was caught in either over election rigging, which was largely tied up with the struggle overall. In 1950, General Razmarad, the able and intelligent chief of the general staff, became prime minister and met Musalik head-on as the leader of the 16th Majlis opposition. In March 1951, a member of the Fatawayan Islam devotees of Islam assassinated Razmarad, which was followed by the nationalization of Iranian oil by the Majlis and Musalik's premiership in April 1951. He had the support of the leading political minister. Shortly after Musadek's premiership, Maliki, Bahari, and her supporters formed the Toilist Party and soon became the strongest and most well organized party that supported the nationalization of Iranian oil and Musadek's government. 
However, the argument over the oil dispute was put to drag, during which in February 1952, Mossadegh eventually turned down the offer of the International Bank for mediation between Iran and Britain, and this led to the International Boycott of Iranian Oil. Maliki believed that this offer of two Meanwhile, Putin was trying to arrange Mossadegh's removal by parliamentary means, and when the Shah and Mossadegh clashed over which one of them should appoint the war minister, the latter resigned and Ahmad Khadam replaced him. There was a public revolt called by Khashoggi and the strong masses and minority who supported Mossadegh, in which the Toyota's party played a significant role and which resulted in Mossadegh's return to power within a few weeks. This was the peak of the popular movement only that in India was not there. But later developments led to its gradual decline when Khashoggi, Bahai, and some other leading figures in the movement went over to opposition and began to attack Mossad. This was virtually inaugurated by a split in the Toilers Party, most of whom, led by Maliki, formed the Toilers Third Force Party, which gave critical support to Mossad. Maliki had already put forward the theory of the Third Force, which was his elaborate formulation of independence from the Eastern and Western blocs. He was referring to countries that many years later became known as the Third World. Furthermore, he engaged in a thorough critique of the Soviet Union, not just as a totalitarian and expansionist state, but also as a state capitalist country, something that had not yet been suggested by anyone before. The, the oil dispute continued and Mossadegh's government rejected Britain and America's final proposal for settlement in February 1953, which managed to sort out to the next side. Meanwhile, the Anglo-American powers were busy organizing a coup against Mossadegh, which was unwittingly helped by his Mossadegh's decision to close the matter via referendum, against which Maliki and some other leading figures had advised him. The first coup attempt of 16 August 1953 failed, but the following attempt on 19 August succeeded. The Tudor party, which had castigated himself as an American agent, but had later somewhat turned down its vehement opposition to him, did not resist the much anticipated coup, despite the repeated slogans that they would turn the coup into an encounter. Musadek and some popular leaders were arrested, tried, and imprisoned. Hussein Fatimi, the foreign minister, was executed, and Maliki was thrown in jail without trial, together with many prominent Tugay members and activists of the year. Within a couple of years, the regime of the Shah and General Zahedi had suppressed the popular movement, and General Zahedi had virtually destroyed the Tudor party. They set up the oil dispute, at least against the spirit of the oil nationalization, resulting in the Consortium Oil Agreement, which was opposed in the masses in Parliament by Mohammed Rakhshish, the Chishan's Union leader, whose long speech had been written by that. 1953-1960 was a period of dictatorship, first led jointly by the Shah and Zahedi, followed by the Shah alone after he dismissed the latter in 1955. It was not a regime of absolute and arbitrary rule which commenced from 1963 onward. So a certain amount of semi-legal activity was possible. Maliki tried hard, both in person and in writing, to rally the erstwhile leaders of the popular movement to organize themselves quietly and prepared for the opportunity which he believed would come. But they had been entirely demoralized and would not be motivated.
who believed in dialogue and peaceful change, which led to his condemnation by the revolutionaries and persecution by the history. Thank you very much. So please join me in thanking Dr. Cartesian for this. <laughs>